Hi, this is Darlena Liu, one of the co-hosts for the Doctors Who Create podcast. And this week we have an exciting episode for you with Dr. Michael Cosimini, who created a very cool card game to teach about which antibiotics to use in the pediatric setting. It's a game called Empiric, and he's here to talk more about the whole process of creating a board game, the different steps. So all you aspiring board game creators out there can learn from this episode and create maybe your own game. So I'm an academic pediatrician here in Los Angeles. I am clinical faculty at Children's Hospital Los Angeles and Keck School of Medicine. And um, yeah, I am an enthusiastic board game player and um, I love visual arts as well. So I think you, I, I love your podcast. I think that's really an interesting uh, thing that you guys are doing. And when did all these interests start for you? Was it in medical school before then? You know, I think um, I was like a Magic the Gathering player in, it must have been grade school or high school. Um, so a lot, a lot of my interests, unfortunately, come from before my, my time in medical school and residency. But you found ways to incorporate it back in. Absolutely. Great. And so the reason we invited you here today is to speak more about this card game you created called Empiric. Um, do you want to start off giving an introduction about how Empiric the game works? Yeah, it's a very, it's an educational game, right? So it's a serious game. It's not for the purpose of entertainment. It's for the purpose of teaching. And for that reason, it's quite straightforward. Um, at its core, it's players with a handful of cards, they'll have some selection of antibiotics available for them, and there'll be some infections available to be treated that score variable points depending on how difficult they are. And really, the the players will match the correct antibiotic um, based on guideline-based treatment recommendations for specific clinical vignettes. That sounds like a way more fun way to learn antibiotics than what I did. <laughs> I remember a lot of memorization at medical school. Mm-hmm. And so is that what inspired you to create the game in the first place? So I'm, I'm clinical faculty, which means like most of the teaching that I do is either like while seeing patients in the outpatient clinic along with a medical student or while supervising medical students and residents in the ward setting. So a lot of my teaching needs to be done in very bite-sized um, sections. And a lot of my teaching is done in the context of a lot of, you know, challenges regards to distraction, like a resident's pager is going off and there are a family that you need to update. So there's a lot going on at the same time. So over the last five years I've been faculty here, I found that using games is a really good way to kind of draw learners in to engage with materials when there's a lot of competing um, competing interests. So I do a lot of games where I will print photos at the CVS and have people match, like, say, the cutaneous findings, like a neurocutaneous syndrome, the MRI finding with the skin finding or match the ocular complications of a condition with the cutaneous findings of a condition. So I've used a lot of matching games and other sort of hands-on materials for teaching, and I feel like that's been really um, really effective for teaching in the clinical setting, and that's really what inspired me to kind of go one level deeper and build a standalone serious game. I see. And I'm curious logistically how that works, how you incorporate it into the day-to-day -day of medical education when you're working with students. Is it as they're waiting to see patients or after? How, how does it work, practically speaking? Yeah, sure. So we'll have, um, you know, play a, play a game of, like, say when we're playing Empiric in the outpatient setting, we'll play a hand between each patient and just slowly work our way through the set of cards through the course of a morning. Um, when on the outpatient setting. In the inpatient, um, we don't have, like, really protected time to teach, so I usually stop by in the afternoon and, you know, do one one game a day while I'm on service for two weeks. So just do a little bits at a time, five, ten minutes at a time. Um, and I feel like 
obviously the the learners are very they've got a lot going on and we have to respect their time so i think doing teaching in small small segments like that and kind of longitudinally through the two course two week course is really a good way to teach that makes a lot of sense your students are very lucky to have you um what has the response been from the med students who've played this game i i hesitate to answer that question cuz i don't know that you get the the most reliable feedback from people that you supervise uh, and certainly for like I, I play a lot with medical students I don't supervise or I don't evaluate. And I think, you know, their feedback is probably a little more valuable. But, you know, I don't I don't really know um, for sure. I certainly will have residents come up and ask me to play. That's probably the best feedback I've had is, you know, people requesting to play again. So I do I do like that. Um, that I think is is positive feedback that I can trust a little more. The way I use it with medical students right now is sort of a flipped classroom. I send out um, an audio file, 25 minutes, about the content that they can listen to beforehand, play the game after. So I'm thinking about you know evaluating a more typical teaching style versus that um, sort of flipped classroom model with the game as far as you know educational outcomes in, in the form of like answering multiple choice questions, right? A lot has been talked about in medical education about how to reinvent the lecture. I think that could be a really cool way to do it. I think there's a lot of room for qualitative work to be done on games, and I think there's probably some important things to be done, though I'm not going to start with that just because of my, you know, my, know, my own knowledge and expertise in that type of study. From its initial concept to what it is today, uh, could you take us back on what that journey was like for you? One thing that really probably helps visualize how this game was developed is that I'm using a print-on-demand service. So there's a company where you can send them a PDF file, and then for $15, they send you a copy of the cards, the 90 cards printed out. So the way I've done it, and this is probably not what I would recommend doing, but what has happened is, you know, I'll design, I designed the game just sort of without much in mind, just made a bunch of cards without mechanics, without, um, without real rules just to, to play with and printed those and just started messing around with them at home by myself. And then occasionally using them just as, you know, one-off quiz cards at work, um, and kind of slowly built up a game around that. Um, the game, it's interesting how it kind of really, it started very small, like just simple matching. I kind of built around it into a larger game with more complicated mechanics, more iconography, um, much more content built up to like 120 cards at some point, and really found that the, the most effective game for teaching is probably the simplest game you can make. It was a lot of carving down from using 50 cases to 40 cases to 20 cases when I'm teaching, going from a big hand where students had eight nine cards to choose from for their antibiotics to going down to just having, you know, four or five antibiotics to choose from. Um, it was very much a, a growing and then shrinking of the game that was the process. And when you were thinking about the, the basic game mechanic, were you drawing from any particular board games that you enjoy playing as inspiration? The way the cards kind of move across the table as you play, it, it's something I pulled from a game, Morel's. Morel's? The, I don't know how to pronounce the name of the mushroom. It's a, it's a uh, two-player game where you collect mushrooms that I really enjoy. Um, so there's a little bit of that in there. Ascension kind of has a similar one where the cards move across the table. So it sort of has that little look to it. That That's sort of like an inspiration as well, though this is not a deck builder. But those, I think, will probably be the two most similar ones. Did you crowdsource any of the ideas uh, as you were developing it? I absolutely plan to do that for the next version of this. I really want to crowdsource content for an adult version of this game. Um, but for this first pass, I really want to just like go at my own and build the whole thing myself. Um, I had a couple like good friends that play test it with me a ton of times. So they were super helpful in like seeing how people react to rules and how people react to different um, 
different mechanics, but um, I didn't crowdsource much of anything at this point. And through that playtesting, what changed seeing it actually played by actual people? What were the things that you noticed that were adjusted? Oh, so hand size, absolutely. Like a, if you hand a, a third-year medical student a hand of eight antibiotics and have to have them compared against five infections on the table, it's too much. It's too many comparisons to make in your head. And test, like, you're like, oh, does the mox treat that? 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 You know, it takes a long time to take a turn like that. So shrinking the hand size and also shrinking the number of available infections to treat was really helpful in smoothing play. There's, like, there are some things that people feel are, like, so inherent to games, they will not, um, they, like, will not accept rules to the contrary. At one point in the game, I really wanted to make it feel very safe. So I said, oh, you can look at the back of one card on your turn and then choose to treat it or not. And people like would not accept that that was a possibility and just wanted to guess. And people feel like they want to guess and they want to get it right or get it wrong. And no matter how many times I tried to explain that rule, I could not get it to stick. So I, I sacked it. Like I think you have to follow people's leads and people are going to do what they do. And I think that's an important rule when you're kind of play testing there's a lot of like extraneous or extrinsic cognitive load put on the the residents with the you know the pagers going off and their clinical work so really minimizing any sort of um, bookkeeping or sort of house cleaning kind of stuff that you need to do inside of the game was something I found that was important because if you get up and come back you really need to be able to pick it up and play without thinking about any other numbers beyond what's just in your hand um and the other thing I found that was really helpful for that is to build a lot of like iconography in there, like medicines that are injected have a big syringe on them, medicines that are oral have a pill on them, take away a little of that mental workload so there's less less thinking that the, the players need to do beyond the actual which antibiotic is used to treat which infection. Uh, what sort of advice would you have for others looking to create their own board game? They're making their first ever uh, card game, board game, what should they be keeping in mind? How should they approach the problem? And what are some lessons that, that you've learned? So I use Keynote, the, the slideshow software from Mac, to kind of build the frame that these were made on. Um, I used a software called Gravit, which is like an online vector image um, editor to make the icons and images for the, for the cards. Um, and then put it into a template in uh, InDesign that's the that makes the PDFs that the the web page uses. There's a lot of different places you can get cards printed. Um, I use drive-through cards, which prints for I want to say nine cents per card, kind of flat rate, um, which is good for sort of quick prototyping, and um, they turn things around pretty quickly. So that's the software that I put the PDF into um, and used um, to get them printed. I probably spent five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars total, in just making more printed prototypes than I should have. Um, but this much cheaper way of doing it than it would be like people who like kickstart games and print a thousand copies, spend a couple hundred dollars per image and, um, you know, have to print at least a thousand copies to get them printed in China and shipped over. So it's, it's a lot simpler the way I did it. And I think that's a good idea for someone making their first game and also for something that's very niche. You don't need to have every little step of the way printed, um, professionally. Um, and because this sort of evolved and wasn't really planned, that's what happened with me. Um, but if I were going to make another game, what I'd say is you start with something called a minimum viable prototype. You get your three by five cards and you write the content on those cards and you start play testing early with that, some, with something very simple or with clip art that you print from the internet. Start with something very simple and try it and see what works, see what doesn't work and don't spend money off the bat. Just make sure like the core concept makes any sense and get to play testing quickly. Um, I think 
if you're making a game, I would say absolutely make a small game first. I, I'm dealing with 90 cards. I think, you know, I could have even made a smaller game than this, but I wouldn't say something heavy with lots of different components and boards, you know, something that even a, a prototype is going to get you $60, $80 to print. Um, I probably would start with something smaller instead of something bigger for your first game. I absolutely think the print-on-demand services are, are a good way to go. Um, and I think building a game is, like, it's a big project, but it's not that big. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a feasible project for someone who is really enthusiastic about it and really wants to create something. A game is a cool thing to create, and I would love to see more meta games of any variety being made. Where should people go if they listen to this interview and they want to play Empiric? Where should they look out for the game? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the the webpage is empiricgame.com. Um, I'm on Twitter with Empiric Game, I'm at Instagram at, at Empiric Game, or just me. You can find me on Twitter as like kind of mostly where I'm available if you want to talk games or um, get links to the game. And that's at my full name, which is Michael Cosimini, C-O-S-I-M-I-N-I. Um, the webpage has a, a free version that you can print. Um, it's like a I believe it's 22 cases that you can print and play. Just need to print a duplex or put it in some card sleeve. So um, not really making money. It's just, you know, something fun to play. So please try it out. Great. Are any other projects in the works for you? Or are you planning another game after this? I think the next thing I'll do is take on, I'm going to make a uh, adult outpatient version. I want to find some people to help me develop that content and, and build that. I think that would be um kind of based on the response I've gotten from people who hear about this game, that's what I think is most desired right now. I would love to kind of get into different types of games. I think building a game right now that really teaches specific learning points and content is um, a very logical place to start. But I really like the idea of what concepts can games teach instead of teaching facts, teaching concepts. Like I just have this dream of making something that teaches like the homeostasis of calcium and phosphorus in a neonate. I think it's a weird idea, but I, w <laughs> I don't know why that is like the one that I'm fixated on, but I think it's clinically a little bit challenging and interesting. And like when you're ordering TPN, I don't know. I, I think maybe not that game, but I think a game that teaches a concept would be really interesting. And I think that's something that um, needs to be done. I'm not sure if it's me or not. Have you found a good community of people uh, to share these games with in terms of uh, game designers who have this medical bent? I don't know about a narrow specific medical bent, but there are great game design communities on the internet. The the r slash tabletop game, tabletop game design is really good um, on Reddit. Um, there's a handful of Facebook groups. Um, uh, Board Game Design Lab is a good one. Um, there's a lot of really good um, podcasts as well. There's um, Board Game Design Lab. There's Ludology. There's Tabletop... Um, Tabletop Roundtable, which is a really good one. Some of them also have their own Discord servers where you can kind of discuss with other designers. There's a lot of like networking that can be done online um, for uh, board game design. So I definitely, if you're going to make one, I would definitely encourage consuming a lot of that content before you get started. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about Empiric, the game, the process? Uh, it's been a two-year process for me. I'm really excited to see it's finally into people's hands. Um, I hope people are enjoying it and using it. Um, and if anyone's interested in trying it out, please, yeah, just go ahead and do the, the free print one that you can get at the webpage. Thanks so much for taking the time to share all of this information with us today. I know a lot of people out there are probably eager to get started on their own projects, so I'm sure this information will be really helpful.
Yeah, and if, if you make something, please let me know. Like, or if you have a Kickstarter, call me to be your first backer. And um, or if you want me to play test something, and you guys have games, please let me know. I'd love to hear about what other people are doing. And that's all we got for this episode of Doctors Who Create. Hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.